Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 93rd episode of a monthly footballing podcast. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Uh, Fuzzy Zach, stop the count, Fuzzy. Stop the count. Season's over. We all agreed that they were only going to play 11 or 12 matches this season. And uh, let's start getting ready for the World Cup. Newcastle United, fourth in the table, qualifying for the Champions League. You can you can put it in pen because it will be happening. What a what a first just under a first third to the season it has been. Yeah, it's been pretty dang spectacular um, and funny to see Spurs in the Champions League because hopefully we'll be taking their spot next season. That is true. Or Man City or Arsenal. Who knows? Um, yeah, we will be we'll be pip- pipping them all for, for a spot in the elite league in Europe. I can't wait till Newcastle gets the call about joining the Super League, which will inevitably come up in the next two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're part we're part of that group now. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yes, exciting times on time side at Newcastle. Is it seven unbeaten now? Is that correct? Uh, 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 it's eight unbeaten at this point. Eight unbeaten. Wow, mm-hmm. wow, wow. A form team in the Premier League. I think the only team that's taken more points from their last eight matches are Arsenal and Manchester City. Um, it has been a really good time to be a Newcastle fan as we will talk about um but yeah interesting spot that we find ourselves adam uh again about a third of the way into the season teams i feel like we're at that point where teams can really start kind of taking stock of where they should be aiming uh you know for the end of the year obviously things are going to be given a, a fairly large hiccup with the world cup and um the you know there's the fact that there will be a month without any premier league football um but yeah it, it's been Things are kind of like the dust is kind of starting to not settle, but like take shape, I feel like in some ways. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, if you look at the table now, um, you've got the teams you would a couple a couple of exceptions, but you've got the teams you would expect to be in the top half of the table and the teams you would expect to be in the bottom half of the table. I'd say Liverpool aren't as high as I'd expect them to be in the league, currently sitting in eighth right now. And then maybe wouldn't have expected to see Villa or Leicester as low as they are in the league. Right now, maybe you could say the same for Wolves as well. They've had a pretty atrocious season so far. But again, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I think I think you're seeing in the bottom three Leeds, Wolves, and Forest teams that will probably be there or thereabouts in terms of um, relegation battles towards the end of the season and at the top of the league as well. Um, Manchester City up there, Chelsea up there, the usual suspects. Arsenal have been a bit of a surprise though with how well they've been playing. So. Uh, we'll get to them a little bit later on in the pod. But yeah, I see what you mean. Table is certainly taking shape here, Zach. Yeah, you, you can definitely name, like there are certain teams now that I'm looking at the table as well that I expect to continue. Like I, I think West Ham has the talent to continue to climb. They're in 10th right now. Horrible start to the season. Um, so the fact that they're in the top half, it, you know, speaks to you know, the, the notion that they are improving things. And then teams, like you said, Liverpool, you expect to be a little higher up. Um, uh, even a team like, well, we'll see with Aston Villa now that, you know, now that the Stevie G era is over, if they're able to, to kind of capitalize on all the money that they spent this summer and all the big name players they brought in to get out of 15th. And perhaps, uh, perhaps all this talk of the Premier League table, Adam transitions us perfectly into our talking points 
for the week. Uh, before I do that, is there anything you want to say, plug, question, or pronounce before we jump into it? Wow, that was a, a long list of things. Uh, no, I think Got I'm a good. Lot of options. Ex excited to get back recording a podcast with you, my friend. We we missed last month. I was sad sad to have to miss it. So uh, lots to talk about here. Let's dive right into it. All right. Okay. So some talking points for the day. Um, we yeah, we'll we'll start out with a couple. Uh, I think your three talking points actually kind of fit nicely into this. You know, look at the Premier League table. So why don't we jump into it? You want to start with Newcastle? Why not? And start with Newcastle, we shall. Only one loss all season, Zach. There are no undefeated teams in the Premier League. There are only three teams that have only suffered one defeat, and those are Newcastle, Manchester City, and Arsenal. We officially, as we mentioned before the pod, have the best defense in the Premier League. We also have the third highest amount of total shots. Can you imagine Bruce Ball a year ago to having the third highest amount of total shots in the Premier League after 12 games. Just incredible. Uh, I just think the Eddie Howe effect is really in full force. And the fact that we can go to Spurs this past weekend, win 2-1, not have arguably two of our best players in Alan St. Maximin and Alexander Izak, our record signing of all time, were I'm just amazed at how much Eddie Howe is getting from this group of players. Um, people that have underperformed in the past, the Jacob Murphys, the Miguel Almirons. It's not just the investment. It's also the Sean Longstaffs of the world, the players that are really kind of digging in now and giving us 120% every game and just showing up teams with the effort that they bring to the table. It's incredible to watch and so much fun to watch as a fan. Yeah, it's amazing. It, it does speak to, you know, the buy-in effect that uh, that occurs in in, in football and i think that like among all sports at least that that i view football is the one in which you know th this buy into the coach's system can have the largest effect on a team's fortunes i think like in a lot of sports you can have players who are all aligned and are all playing in the system but there is still that need to have the talent that can match it newcastle obviously does have a lot of talent in that side they've invested a ton of money recently and so it's not as if we're doing it on like the shoestring budget that Leicester City did in 2015, but you do see this belief in the in the system, in the process, uh, in as you said, Eddie has what he's brought to the team, uh, and it's a side that doesn't just look like you know they think that they can compete. They look like they think they can win in every match. I think that this past match against Spurs came at a perfect time because this was this was the match of the season so far for Newcastle United. You know, we went away at a place that we historically have a horrible record and we pretty much bossed that game for all but about 15 to 20 minutes in the second half when Spurs did get the equalizer and then we're pushing fairly heavily. Um, but yeah, I mean, up until then through the first goal, the controversial first goal, I think that it's not, terribly controversial. I think everyone knows that it wasn't a foul on Callum Wilson. And um, and then through our, our unsung hero, who I guess isn't that unsung anymore, Miggy Almiron, uh, his second um, just phenomenal, phenomenal goal. Like Newcastle was on the front foot nearly that whole game and um, had the, the lion's share of possession for most of the game as well. I think that speaks to exactly what you're talking about, the transformation on the side. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so refreshing and fun to see how well Miggy is playing. The fact that he's just banging the goals away, especially after the Jack Grealish incident that happened towards the end of last season. I saw a meme yesterday, and it was uh, after uh, Riyad Mahrez had a pretty poor game for City in the Champions League, missed a penalty in that game. And it was Miggy with a little speech bubble, and it said, get Mahrez off. He's playing like Grealish. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so fantastic. Uh, yeah. So he's Miggy's now scored more goals this season than Grealish has scored in his entire career for Manchester City in all competitions. I believe it's this month, actually, he has scored more goals than Grealish has scored in his entire career for Manchester City. Either way, even better. Yeah, it, it is pretty in, in, incredible, uh, especially with a player that like you know, came over from Atlanta United. He was the the highest, uh, he was the most expensive signing ever coming out of the MLS to Europe. And, and he's had plenty of time, you know, to settle in and, and make an impact and just simply didn't until this season. He scored, you know, the one-off wonder goals, the, the one last season that uh, almost won goal of the year. And he's had a couple others in his Newcastle career. But I mean, it, it is, he he's almost like the, the most emblematic example of, what happens when you have a new system that does suit the players and a system in his case that uh, requires heavy pressing, something that he does extremely well and plays on that counterattack style. Um, and yeah, it, it's just great to see the confidence and the quality that he has. And I will be the first to admit that there have been plenty of times where I was like, you know what, you know, we took a risk on this guy and he's just not cut out for the Premier League, but uh, he is, he is proving everybody wrong right now. Totally. And his strength on the ball has actually really improved too. That's something that I've been witnessing yeah. in recent games. It's like he used to be just pushed off the ball because he's, what is he, 100 pounds dripping wet? He's, he's, he's yeah, exactly. a, a bit of a lightweight. But um, he's learned yeah. how to use his body, right? Like yeah. that's the thing yeah. is he is, I still don't think he's like a, a, a bulky, he's not a bulky, strong guy. Like there's not a lot of muscle mass there. But when you watch, yeah, when you watch him play, it's like Messi, right? He, Messi is not what you describe as a traditionally strong person, but he knows how to use his body and shield the ball so well. And we saw that in the goal, you know, him holding off, I think it was Sessegnon, and just like waiting and waiting and waiting and holding him off and then going forward. Um, yeah, that's like, that is definitely something I've noticed as well. Yeah, absolutely. So credit to Miggy there. Um, wrapping up on the Newcastle topic, I just want to give a shout out to one Bruno Guimaraes. How good is this player, Zach? Absolutely incredible. I've never seen a midfielder like him in my life for Newcastle. And I, I hark back to the Keegan days. Like consistency in performances, he rarely has an off day. Um, and just the level of effort, the commitment that he has to the cause, he He's already a Jordy hero. Yeah, he is. And I, I think, again, like in this Spurs game, there was nothing that he did that was particularly, you know, eye-catching. Uh, he has had so many moments, you know, some incisive passes. Obviously, the goals that he has scored have been pretty unbelievable. But he was just that quiet kind of engine room player this week. And I think what what's so incredible about this situation that he and Newcastle find themselves in is like, Bruno Guimaras and you know Joe Linton are such an unbelievable pair to have in that midfield. Obviously, Joe Linton kind of played more of a winger, although he dropped back quite a bit in this game. But you have these two players that one of which is the you know the creative passer, and then the other one is the the bruiser, the the guy who will break up play 
reminds me quite a bit of the Teote Kabai combination that we saw the last time that Newcastle was even a glimmer of a good team. Uh, and I, I think you mentioned before, like Sean Longstaff is another player who's been playing quite well recently. These players who know their roles and enable a guy like Bruno, uh, a player like Miggy to kind of just do their thing um, and not have it feel like it's isolated. Like it honestly oftentimes would with St. Maximin who would just go out and kind of run around and do his thing, but it wouldn't really fit within the system. Yeah, it's a good point. And I've, I've heard a lot of talk about wanting to play Bruno a little bit further forward, getting Shelby back in the last game, having him come on for a little bit. I think Shelby certainly comes into that team and sits in front of the back four and offers that distribution from the central defensive midfielder standpoint. I think Bruno then will have a little bit more creativity and we'll perhaps see a few more goals and assists coming from him soon. And I think what's good is that we're going to have a lot of competition for those center midfield spots. Uh, typically, we're going to play a 4-3-3, you would think, when everybody's healthy. So who is in that midfield between Joe Linton, Bruno, Shelby, Longstaff, and Willick? You have depth and you have a number of players who are proving that they should be in the starting 11. And that's that's the headache you want to be giving Eddie Howe is truly like the question. You could make the argument that Longstaff starts over Shelby. You can make the argument that Joe Willick is in there, whether it's on the wing or in the midfield, is a good problem to have. Yeah, I think for, for me, the strongest midfield three is definitely Shelby, Bruno, and Joe Linton. But again, I think you could make arguments to, to include Willick or Longstaff in that team. And certainly great players to be able to be able to call off the bench, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, bright, bright. We could we could go on for days. We could we could wax poetic about Newcastle a lot right now, which is uh, happy, such a such day. a deviation from eighty five percent of the episodes we've ever recorded <laughs> in this podcast. That's um, true. And I haven't said really haven't said one negative thing. Oh, last thing, Nick Pope, Eddie, you were quite, right. What a quite keeper. a good keeper, quite a good keeper. Callum Wilson potentially putting himself on the plane to to Qatar. I mean, everyone is playing well right now. I kind of hope that Wilson doesn't go because he probably won't play and he might get injured. Yeah, he, which is a crazy combination of things. But yeah, you're not wrong at all. Uh, keep that man, keep that man wrapped in cellophane during the World Cup. That's right. He'll have, he'll enjoy it just as much from his own couch. Maybe not, but that is fair. <laughs> um, okay, right. let's uh, let's let's move on to another uh, another team in the Premier League. Um, let's. Uh, Let's go with the, let's go with the, the the chat about Aston Villa here, Adam. Because I'm okay. I'm interested to hear your opinion on on what's going on in, in Birmingham at the moment. Yeah, so I just want to give a high level of what's happened since our last recording. Uh, Villa have gone through a pretty torrid run of form. Um, Gerard has been the scapegoat for much of that poor form, uh, which has led to ultimately his firing uh, in the last seven days here. So Stephen Gerrard ends up at Aston Villa for a total of 38 Premier League games, wins 12, draws 8, loses 18, a 32% win percentage. And with the level of investment that Villa have had and the ambitions that they have as a club, just not a good enough win percentage and not a good enough return on investment there. 90 million invested on transfers this calendar year. Granted, I feel like they've had a little bit of bad luck and misfortune with Diego Carlos being kind of their biggest of those signings during this calendar year, getting injured after only two games for Villa. But I think the defense has actually improved somewhat. I think that's the one area where you probably could give Steven Gerrard some credit. So before we move on to who's come in, 
let's talk a little bit, Zach, about really how we feel like this 38 games has gone for Steven Gerrard. Do you think he'll look back at it, um, take some positives from it, or do you think it's really been pretty atrocious all around? It's been pretty negative. I, I think you could probably take certain specific positives, maybe certain moments, certain matches. Uh, but I don't know. Like I, I, I do think I, to, to not you know blame him entirely for their fortunes because I, I agree. Like the injuries have been pretty brutal. Uh, almost all of the players that they've bought in the last twelve months, besides maybe Danny Ings, have suffered a fairly major injury. Um, that being said, I do think that Steven Gerrard was clearly out of his depth with managing in the Premier League. I, I liken it somewhat similarly to, you know, the experience that uh, Frank Lampard had when going from, from Derby to Chelsea. And it was just like so obvious so quickly that it wasn't the right place or time for, for that manager. At Chelsea, there were quite a lot of internal politics that could have played a much larger part than at Villa. Uh, I think with Gerrard, there, there was to me, there was a lot of lack of identity of that team. You never were really sure if they were trying to be, you know, really defensively sound and, and, and kind of holding this strong back line, or if they were going to really go on, you know, much more offensive. They brought in, you know, Coutinho and Leon Bailey and Emi Buendia. Like those are all flair players who you know, are going to be going forward. And I think that an issue that Gerard had was he never really picked a lane and that kind of led to a team mm -hmm. that, had all this talent both on and off the pitch and just never showed it and never were playing in an entertaining uh, kind of, you know, vivacious style. So ultimately I do think like Steven Jared was not the right manager for Villa. I think that he does need to kind of figure out what the next move is because it was a pretty big leap going from Rangers to the Premier League. I mean, there's a gulf in class between those two leagues. And so I think, you know, maybe he goes down to the championship. Maybe he kind of does what what Frank did to start his career. You, you now look at Everton as a team that is looking quite a bit better than they did when Lampard took over. But um, yeah, r rambling aside, I think that Jared has a lot to kind of figure out before he can be considered to be a coach who deserves to be managing a Premier League side. And not just a Premier League side, but this was seen as the stepping stone to him potentially managing Liverpool. Yeah, insane. It, yeah, it, ludicrous. I mean, but that's the thing is like, who knows how many of these players they brought in were influenced by the fact that they got to work with Steven Gerrard, the midfielders, right? Um, Coutinho certainly was, yeah. Yeah, name brand obviously now only goes so far. And I think that this is a pretty big dent in his pedigree. I think that a lot of people are going to look at this as a kind of defiance on that exact idea of, you know, working with a good player doesn't mean you're working with a good manager. Yeah. L last thing on on Gerard, he he stepped out and Villa immediately smashed Brentford last weekend, 4-0. Mm -hmm. Um first two goals of the season for Danny Ings, Watkins gets a goal, Leon Bailey gets a goal, all players, Ings and Bailey, three of the four that were brought in under Gerard and they suddenly start performing. Coincidence or are they just refreshed to you know, not be under the shackles of Steven Gerrard anymore and they're playing a bit more free football. Shackles was the word that I was actually thinking of. I think it's exactly that. It's the, it's the new manager bounce. Um, but it's, I, I, I do think, unfortunately, it's another indictment on the fact that Gerrard was setting up this team so incorrectly and probably not giving them the guidance that they needed. Um, that yeah. being said, unbelievable 
un- I was astonished when I read who Aston Villa was bringing in well, as manager. Not not just because there were so many Pochettino links. Like in the, in the press, there was like Pochettino, I thought was like a shoe in for this role, but he turned them down. And the reason he did so in the press is because he didn't think the players were good enough at the club. I don't think Pochettino's good enough, but that's a story for another day. And who comes in, Zach? Unai Emery. Unai Incredible. Emery, who turned down Newcastle last season before we brought in Eddie Howe, now walks away from Villarreal. We take the Real out of Villarreal, and what do we get? We get Villa. <laughs> and here he is in Birmingham to manage Aston Villa Football Club. What was your immediate reaction when you read that? I just like, like I, I, I don't know. Like this is a man with immense pedigree in European football. He's won the Europa League multiple times. He's proven himself to be a really, really class manager. And yeah, I, a lot of me wonders why he is interested in this job. If it's, I would like to think it's not a financial decision. I, I'd assume he's on quite a lot of money at Villarreal and has, has made quite a lot of money in his career. Is it a coming back to the Premier League to prove himself after, you know, a pretty terrible experience at Arsenal? That I think could, could certainly be a big part of it. But um, yeah, I mean, good on Villa. This is an incredibly impressive signing for them to get Emery in the doors, not only so quickly, but a, again, a manager of such a high acclaim. Uh, and I'm excited to see him back in the Premier League. I really enjoyed watching his Villarreal side play when I did, as mainly in the Europa League. Uh, I think he's a great manager. I think his experience at Arsenal was a, had a lot to do with just being treated awfully by the club and mm-hmm. honestly the fans. Um, yeah, I don't really need to dive into kind of the caricatures that were made of him because mm-hmm. honestly they're, they're fairly offensive. Uh, but I think it's good to see him back in the Premier League. I think he's a really good manager and credit to Villa for getting him in the door. Yeah, it's a big, big signing for them. I think, you know, that's that's a statement of intent. Uh, they've got plenty of season left to really turn it around. And I think they've got some good talent in there. Be interested to see how how much he gets backed in the January transfer window. Remember, they signed Luca Dina in the January transfer window last year. So I think they put up about 30 to 40 million. So I feel like he'll get some backing. And I've already read some Arno Danjuma links, the potential mm. that he, he, might be, he might be coming to Villa now. So oh, interesting. Uh, I think, think that's that's quite interesting. So, yeah, do, do you think his brand of football will work with the with the squad that we currently have at Villa? You know, when he comes in and has to obviously use the players he's got through the end of the year, and with obviously with the World Cup in between too, though. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think Emery Emery does play quite like a, a fairly defensive style of football. I do think that like he's really good at playing this transitional um, kind of game, and I think that does suit Villa. They do have quite a lot of talent especially in that midfield and up top like Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings are both functionally solid Premier League strikers uh I think Watkins has you know a higher ceiling but maybe a lower floor whereas Danny Ings is kind of like right in the middle there you know what you're getting out of Danny Ings um and solid solid Premier League striker yeah so yeah I think it works I think that (laughs) in a weird way you know the inability of Jared to pick a style of football kind of might suit Emery because he can come in and and pretty much wipe the slate clean and decide what they're going to do. And I think they have pieces that would have worked with a lot of different styles of play. And, you know, from that Emery can kind of go right into it. Yeah, agree. Yeah. So last thought on this, our two, our first two teams in focus, Newcastle and Aston Villa, 
this pod they're playing each other this weekend at st james's park yeah. una amory will not be in the dugout he will not oh, start okay. until november 1st um apparently due to work visa issues that they need to sort out but i actually read some quotes from Unai Emery that I want to read out here, um, directly quoted from him today. As soon as I saw the fixture list and realized they were playing Eddie Howe's Mags in the next game, I had to delay my start date. It's no. bad enough. <laughs> it, it's bad enough. I turned down the job last year. Never mind getting absolutely battered by that magic hat bloke Bruno in my first match and trying to break down the brick shit house Botman at the back. I'll still sit in the stands on Saturday. I'm excited to see that flag display, and I'll probably make a few notes on Eddie's tactics to pass on to these useless Villa players. <laughs> Ashley Young against Miggy Almiron. Holy shit, man. <laughs> that's, I'm scared. That is, that's good stuff. And that's a direct quote, too. That's not yeah. paraphrased in any sort of way. Um, yeah, I think you got that from the Guardian. Uh, so yeah. now we know how, they, how he feels about the, uh, the adversary that they'll be facing on the weekend. Uh, part of me is disappointed it would have been like nice to have faced him in the first game, but who knows what Villa team will get that shows up. I mean, if it's Gerard's team, great. That's the one that played last week and won four 0 against Brentford. We beat we beat them four one as well, so not or five one as well, so not not terrible, but I think it's a bit of a crapshoot. I wouldn't like to bet on this weekend's game. Yeah, it'll be an interesting one. I think probably goals in the match, but who knows? I'm not very good at sports betting, so I'm not gonna not gonna back myself there either. Um all right, let's let's uh, let's wrap up this section with another another Premier League team that I would say what's the similarity here has a lot of questions to be asked of them at the moment. Uh, Liverpool Football Club, what an absolute enigma they are this season, Adam. Just yeah, you know, from I, I guess again we haven't recorded a podcast in quite some time, but obviously the most recent uh, kind of two week. Uh, period has seen Liverpool give Manchester City their only defeat on the season, kickstarting their campaign, getting them right back in the talk for the title race, uh, followed by a loss to Nottingham Forest, who was dead last in the Premier League table, a team that was winless in nine going into this match. So whew, what what a curious case Liverpool Football Club presents today. Yeah, I, I actually titled this The Curious Case of Liverpool Football Club. And I'm going to throw some more stats at you here to digest before I ask you the question of what's gone wrong. Uh, Liverpool has lost three games this season. It's We're now 11 games in for Liverpool. That's one more game than they lost in the whole 38 games last season. Already mm -hmm. 11 games in. They've conceded 13 goals this season so far in 11 games. Last season, they only conceded 26, so double that amount in 38 games. They've scored 22 goals this season in 11 games. However, you take out the fact that nine of those were scored against Bournemouth with Scotty Parker at the helm with a Bournemouth team that was just atrocious and Bournemouth have improved recently. Take that away. It's 13 goals in 10 games for a free-scoring previous Liverpool team. So they're struggling at the back. They're struggling up top. They're struggling in general, and they're losing games they shouldn't. Why, Zach? Tell me why. Um, <laughs> it's a big question. Uh, so I, I think it's, as you kind of just alluded to, it's issues all over the pitch. I don't think this is one of those things that you could point at one player or one kind of like like – level in positioning that is to blame uh so starting from the, the bottom up virgil van dyke looks kind of a shell of his former self you know the 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 best center back in the world three seasons ago is 
showing constant errors, not having that kind of snappy decision-making that he's so known for. Trent Alexander-Arnold is a big issue. You're not getting the assists that you expect out of him. And because of that, all you see is how bad of a defender he is, which is pretty glaring and a large reason that some people question if he'll even be on the plane to Qatar, which is a wild, wild thing to think about. Again, if we go back two or three seasons, um, the midfield has been, has dealt with some injuries. I think that, you know, you have players like Harvey Elliott, for example, who have so much talent, who clearly have the world ahead of them, but should not be the first choice uh, right midfielder for a Liverpool team who's trying to compete for the title. It's not only quite a lot of pressure on his shoulders, but he's just not a guy who is nearly the same level as a Fabinho, as a Thiago, as those mainstay uh, Premier League midfielders uh, at that highest level. And then finally up top, I think that you know, Sadio Mane is so heavily missed. And you see that every single match that Liverpool plays, besides the, the Bournemouth match and maybe the Manchester City match, the ability for him to kind of provide that extra level of, you know, creativity for the attacking three. Um, I, I think Mane was always, you know, just as complete a player as uh, Mohamed Salah, but perhaps in a, in a much different way. Uh, and I think we're seeing that. There's not... The ability they have to replace Mane. Salah looks a little bit sluggish. He he kind of looks like almost exhausted uh right now. Um, and so yeah, that is a quick run through. But I Allison is still maybe the best keeper in the world. That's the one thing that they have is Allison is really, really good. But besides that, I think it's it's kind of across the board. Yeah, I think the the other player I'd give a shout out to who's been performing well in a pretty putrid team this season is Bobby Firmino. Firmino is uh, having a big rebirth. Yeah. I mean, they yeah. need somebody, right? They'd be way lower <laughs> in the table if he wasn't having that kind of that reawakening. Yeah. He's, he stepped up and credit, credit to him. I think, you know, he's, we've been critical or probably I've been critic, more critical of him over the years and, you know, he's scoring goals now. And typically this time of the year, we'd be looking at the top score charts and we'd see Mane on there and we'd see Salah on there and be like, yeah, that seems about right. And now we're looking at it and the only player from Liverpool that's on there Bobby Firmino. Um, Darwin Nunez, we were talking at the beginning of the season about like who's going to score more goals, Nunez or Haaland. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't talking about that. I was never participating in that conversation. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, it hasn't worked out very well. Um, yeah. let's, let's just let's just say that. Um, there, the talent's there, though, right? I think he'll, he'll figure it out eventually. Um, he's had a couple of moments where he's lost his head a little bit yeah. and missed a few games, but... Um, I think I think he's a super talented player and he'll be he'll be just fine. But Liverpool need him to be fine right now because they're in in big big trouble. And the last thing I'll a couple things I'll say here is Liverpool have this over the last four seasons this habit of having one good season and one bad season. Um, and obviously they won the title four or three seasons ago. Now two seasons ago they had a pretty poor season. Last year they were in it until the final kick of the of the season and, and ultimately missed out to Manchester city um, after a comeback from city on the final day. And now they seem to be having another bad season. So it's, it's kind of swings and roundabouts for them. Now that said, Jurgen Klopp and his Liverpool career has done everything. He's mm -hmm. won the champions league. He's won the premier league. He's won both domestic cups. He doesn't really have a lot left to prove. How much longer do you think he stays 
do you think he walks away? He's going to be a Liverpool legend regardless of what happens because of what he's been able to do for that team. Does he try and go out on a high note? Or if it's an underwhelming season this year, do you think he walks? Mm, it's an interesting question. I think you kind of touched on like three areas of like concentration with like how you would judge a manager and how a manager would judge himself. I don't, so area one is something to prove. You're right. He doesn't have anything to prove. I, I, I look at Jurgen Klopp as somebody who probably doesn't like assess himself in that way of like, do I have something to prove to this fan base, you know, to the city? Um, the second one is, you know, what, what is he, uh, like, what does he have left to accomplish for himself? And as you said, like on paper, he has accomplished everything. He will be a Liverpool legend. Um, that being said, the third area of like, does he want to go out on top? And that's where I think like Jurgen Klopp certainly has the ego of a man that I think would would feel like he is doing himself a pretty big disservice to go out after a season where they finish, let's say, somewhere between fifth and ninth. I, I don't see him stepping away from the job, and I certainly don't see him. Like it would it would be his decision to leave. Liverpool is not going to fire Jurgen Klopp unless something fairly catastrophic happens. So. Um, yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see if they can progress up the table. They're still is sitting in eighth, but they're only five points back of Newcastle in fourth. So a lot of season left to be played. That being said, I, I think that Klopp wouldn't go out on anything less than maybe a cup win or a Premier League win. Yep. And we look at the, the three teams that have only one defeat this season with Arsenal, Manchester City, and Newcastle, Liverpool have handed out two of those three defeats despite their poor form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. one of which though, they shouldn't have handed out because there shouldn't have been eight minutes of out of time. Um, That's a but, story uh, for another day. Zach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Liverpool, especially you know going into going into the World Cup, which we'll talk about ad nauseum in our next episode, which will be recorded right before the World Cup begins. Uh, but Liverpool, for for their sake, hopefully is is finding a bit more form uh, going into the the tournament. Okay. All right. Well, I know you've prepared some talking points for us as well today. Let's go ahead and pivot over into those. Yeah, let's uh, actually, before we do that, let's just take a quick break. We'll, we'll take a breather. Um, and then after that, we will jump back into my talk points. That sound good to you? Sounds good to me. We will be right back after a word from the sponsors. All right, guys, we are back with section two of the False Nines. That was our break. Hope you liked our sponsors and all their really cool products and services. Um, so, Adam, <laughs> uh, I'm going to, uh, I guess we'll, we'll keep the train rolling with this team-centric talk right now. Um, Arsenal, top of the Premier League, and mm-hmm. why that needs to be restated. Arsenal, Arsenal Football Club is the... the the top team they are not tied on points they are in first in the premier league the reason i'm saying this in kind of an annoying redundant manner is <laughs> manchester city is not in first in the premier league and that is i think surprising for two reasons first of all they are the reigning champions who in the summer brought on the best striker in the world and second of all i don't feel like arsenal is necessarily getting the credit in the media that they deserve for being in first in the premier league i'm not any sort of arsenal apologist but most of the things you read about Premier League teams and their good fortunes is around Manchester City, uh, largely because they have the best striker in the world. Um, but I want to ask you this, Adam. You know, we're we're 
for Arsenal and for City, 11 games into the season, Arsenal has 28 points from 11 matches. City is just behind 26 points. What do you think Arsenal needs to do to continue holding off Manchester City? Uh, great question. And I, I first want to tip my cap to Mikel Arteta. This is a manager who was very much under fire early last season when Arsenal were in the bottom three for a handful of games. Um, he's completely righted that ship. And we talked about this ad nauseum. Arsenal was a team in transition, still are technically a team in transition, but they're getting most of the pieces together. Got a blend of those great players like Gabriel Jesus, like Zinchenko, um, like Odegaard that they've been able to bring in, and they're complementing it with youth, like Bukayo Saka is having a great season so far, uh, performing wonderfully yeah, yeah. Going, in, going into the World Cup. So tip, tip of the hat to Arteta, tip of the hat to Arsenal so far. Your question, how can they hold off City? Continue to grind out those results in close games. I think they, they have yeah. to make sure that they don't drop points against teams like Southampton, like they did this past weekend. Those are games that they absolutely should 100% be winning. I think they still need a bit of investment in January. Um, I think Jesus needs a little bit of help up top. Um, they they look fantastic, mostly over the the whole pitch. And um, defensively, I think they um, have improved dramatically. Uh, Gabrielle and Ben White at the back um, and Saliba have looked really good. Uh, and they've actually conceded only one goal more than Newcastle. So Chelsea... Arsenal and Man City all conceded 11 goals in 11 games so far this season. So I think they've, they've figured that piece out. Now I just think, what do they got to do? They've got to really win those critical games against rivals. And I think those games against Manchester City are going to be massively important. We have one of them that will take place in April. That will be the game at Manchester City. The game at Arsenal has not been rescheduled yet. It was supposed to be last week. It was called off for reasons unknown. I'm not actually sure if you know why it was called off last week, but um, I digress. It's got to be rescheduled probably after the World Cup, I'm sure. Um, but those games are going to be key and critical to see just how far this Arsenal team has come in the season. Absolutely. I think there there are kind of... Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There are hints of that Arsenal team of like the mid-2010s to me, where you had Ramsey, you had Wilshere, um, you know, players, it was early Aubameyang even, um, and that kind of like free-flowing football where you, you you saw them going forward as this kind of like seven-man unit on on the ball between the midfield and the strikers. And I think at, at times this season, you, I, I see flashes of that. Um, so much cohesion, so much talent in that team. I think what's to be excited for if you're an Arsenal fan, not just are you, you know, top of the table but the the youngest team in the premier league by average age as well like so much youth and so much upside that's still not been recognized yet uh mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. things are things are going really well martinelli another player who's having a phenomenal season um and is kind of looking that full version of the the player that we've seen in the past couple seasons so yeah, it's 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 fun to watch Arsenal. Arsenal are not the hated Arsenal that they were in years past. They're they're a really fun team to watch. Yeah, Martinelli, who was my shout for a young player of the season last season, had a pretty good year last year, but he's surpassing all expectations this year. He's doing wonderfully well. So Martinelli and Saka, I think, have been kind of the two standout performers in that team. Maybe you throw Saliba and Jesus. Saliba Jesus has gone a little bit off the ball recently in in the mix there, and Odegaard 
quality signing. So yeah, I think reasons to be cheerful for for Arsenal. Lots of young players, like you said, positive times ahead. Those players are only going to get better, um, and you know uh, they're they're going to be there or thereabouts. Or are they going to fall off from the top and end up in fifth place and back in the Europa League again? Who knows? Nobody talking knows. about this. Yeah, yeah that that is what we have to watch. I, I think that yeah, I think the World Cup will be pretty big for them because unfortunately the World Cup will undoubtedly cause injuries to players who we do not know at the moment, and that will turn a lot of teams kind of on their head. And I, I think that Arsenal. Uh, Actually, doesn't I, I believe I've read that Arsenal of the teams in the Premier League has uh, uh, they're on the lower side of, of teams that are sending starting eleven players to the World Cup. So there mm-hmm. maybe is some benefit there, you know, preventing risk of injury. Um, so we'll we'll see what happens going forward. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. so um, Arsenal top of the league today's date October. 26. 26. Next time we record a podcast on the EPL, we'll probably be in December because we're going to do a World Cup special for November. Will Arsenal still be top of the Premier League at that point? We will see. We will see. We will see. We will see. Um, okay, cool. Transitioning to another team with another young talent. Erling Holland, we would be remiss if we did not talk about him at all. That would be really doing ourselves a disservice as a self-proclaimed Premier League podcast. What to say, what to say about Erling Holland, uh, the man of the moment, 17 goals in 11 matches so far this season. He's broken several records already, fastest player to three hat tricks in the Premier League. He beat Rude van Nistelrooy by just about 40 matches there, so doing it in eight matches to Van Nistelrooy's 48. Uh, looking absolutely the complete package that he looked at Dortmund, uh, worth every penny, if not 10x of that. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we could go into a lot of different directions and a lot of kind of tangents with Erling Holland, Adam. I, I think what I would want to focus on here for, for sake of structure is looking at him in comparison to some all-time great Premier League strikers. Now, what I mean by that is I'm not going to be like rank Erling Holland among all-time Premier League strikers because he's played 11 matches. I think that would be a little bit of a fool's errand. But I want to look at his potential. Like, if we are looking at a player who has done everything correctly so far, albeit in 11 matches, where do you think the trajectory for him is going in the Premier League? Yeah, um, great, great question. I think a lot will hinge on how long he stays in the Premier League. Mm -hmm. I think I don't see him as a Premier League lifer, if you will. I think he's the sort of player that rightly so will want to prove himself in probably La Liga, uh, maybe Serie A, but he'll want to show that he can do it in those leagues. And he absolutely will. He will, if he goes there, when he goes there, he will be a success because he is an unreal striker. This is a player that currently, Zach, has 17 goals in 11 games in the Premier League. At that pace, he's on pace to score 58 goals this season. That's rounding down, 58 goals this season. Uh, The record in a single 38-game season is 32. This guy has the potential to be the greatest of all time. Hands hands down, I, I took a look at the highest goal scorers in the Premier League. And I specifically honed in on their kind of goals to games ratio. 
Yeah. The, only, the only active player in that top 10 right now is Harry Kane. Um, and he's at, I think, 0.66 goals per game. Like, like you said, Holland is just absolutely ridiculous. I mean, to to break that and be would be 38 goals in 38 games would take him to a goal per game this season in the Premier League, and that would put him leagues ahead. The best goal-to-game ratio that you have in that top 10 right now, surprisingly, is Thierry Henry, uh, who scored 175 goals in 258 games. So a 0.68 goal-to-game ratio. Oh, man. Holland could absolutely destroy that if he stays with City. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the question of how long he stays in the Premier League is a very important one. He he has actually said in the past that he wants to prove himself all over Europe. So there is like substantive evidence that his lifetime or his career at Manchester City might not be incredibly long. Um, not going to put like a, a date on it because again, we're a lot of matches into that career. But in terms of talent, he is, he is unbelievable. He's uh, a player that can do everything he's you know the best player with his right foot the best player with his left foot the fastest player the strongest player and sometimes the tallest player on the field it's he, he's you know he's made in a lab of turning the dials on your fifa custom player all the way to 99 across mm-hmm. the board and now he's also playing in a system where he's getting the best service in potentially the world from kevin de bruyne from Xiao Cancelo. Uh, he has players that you know, are opening up space and Phil Foden, who's having a phenomenal season. Uh, Riyad Mahrez, even despite his bad performances, can is such a threat on the ball. It's it's the perfect situation for somebody to shatter the goal record and and continue to do that. So um, I think in, in terms of raw talent, the Premier League has never seen a player like this. There's like there's no hesitation for me to say he is he he has the highest ceiling. It is the most dangerous striker that has ever played in in europe without a shadow of a doubt yeah he's 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 something else and i'm glad you mentioned fifa in there because there was a uh, a video going around on social media this week did you see this about how to sign erling holland for one pound no i didn't see that <laughs> I'll, I'll try i'll try and keep it brief on the cliff notes of this but basically if you start career mode in fifa 23 as manchester city's manager renegotiate a contract with Erling Haaland, get him paid basically, but put a clause in his contract that allows him to leave for one pound. Soon as you do that and he signs that deal, you immediately get fired by Manchester City as their manager. So then you just take whichever job you want, knowing that he has that one pound release clause, negotiate <laughs> terms with him. So basically I watched Erling Haaland sign for Nottingham Forest for one pound. That's <laughs> good. 23. I like that. That's that's quality. I remember in FIFA 21, I think, was the last one I bought. And I, I did a career mode with Newcastle and bought Holland. And I won the Champions League in my first season as Newcastle manager. Um, yeah. So, yeah, the, the experience is there. But, yeah, I mean, again, we, we don't need to kind of, like, go in circles about how incredible Holland is because everybody knows it and everyone will continue to see it. And he is a player who will not be participating in the World Cup. So to think Mm -hmm. that players are going to come back with tired legs in December and he's just going to be chomping at the bit is utterly terrifying. Did you hear? Did you hear about the uh, the joke people were making about the Holland wild card for the, the, World the Cup? thirty minutes a match? Yeah, that, that's minutes. amazing content. <laughs> yeah, in, in any 
competition or sorry in any match during the world cup every team gets a chance to pull their erling holland wild card one time and get 30 minutes from him in any game at any time as a substitute when i uh i was i was on a backpacking trip with a couple of my my friends who are, are both Premier league fans uh this was two and a half weeks ago and when you're when you're on a backpacking trip you oftentimes need to find like specific uh conversation topics to just go into for like an hour to just burn time and we spend an hour talking about that and when in the match you would pull your Erling Holland wild card and the, the pros and cons to picking different times in the match so the the point being uh yeah I mean there's not there's not one country in the world that wouldn't take that opportunity which is it, that's incredible to say like even with you know I guess Messi and Ronaldo were probably that way as well in their peak but uh, every single country would be improved by having Holland on the pitch. Yep, 100%. I, I, before we wrap up on Erling Holland, I just want to give a quick shout out to a player who's somewhat been overshadowed by how good Holland has been this season, but is also having a wonderful season of his own. It's Phil Foden. Um, yeah. In in that game against Manchester, it was against Manchester United, I think, right where we had a hat trick for Foden and a hat trick for Holland in the, mm-hmm. in the same in the same game. I think they're. The two of them are clicking together. They're performing well together. Um, just some really talented players. And Phil Foden just deserves his own unique shout out there, I think, for for the form he's in this season. Yeah, he is really coming true to all that potential that Pep has talked about for years and and what what we've seen in, in kind of flashes. But yeah, he is he has become such such an important part of that team. And you'd think like one of the one of the first names on the team sheet, which is pretty, pretty wild to think about. Yep, absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. All right, last topic then for you, Zach, before we move into our next commercial break and start to wrap up the pod here. What do you got? Uh, yeah, so the uh, it's kind of um, a, another player-centric topic. Um, we, we haven't really talked about the three newly promoted sides too much. Uh, that would be Fulham, Nottingham Forest, and Bournemouth. I, I want to kind of just ask you, and this could be, a little bit shorter than our previous chats. Um, just who have you been impressed by from those three teams? We see three sides who uh, have covered or kind of cover like a much different spots in the table. Fulham all the way up at seventh now, which is incredibly impressive. Bournemouth in 14th and then Nottingham Forest in 20th. Uh, so are there any players in particular that have really stuck out to you? I can assume there is one that both of us would would name as our, our top impressive player so far. But yeah, who comes to mind? Yeah, I'll go down the list from top to bottom in terms of the clubs. For me, Fulham, obviously, Mitrovic is proving everybody wrong, showing that he can do it in the Premier League this season. Nine goals on the season so far. A few of those penalties, but I mean, he's he's been he's been playing well and justifying why he's probably going to be on most people's fantasy teams in World Cup fantasy for Serbia here in a few weeks. Um, the other one I, I thought was is having a good season at Fulham is Pereira. Uh, four assists on the yeah. season, came in from Man United and is, is certainly making them tick. And I think a large reason why Mitro has been as successful as he has been this season. Those would be my two from Fulham. Is there any other names that you were thinking about from them? Uh, Bobby De Cordova reed has been in a bit of a good run of form recently um mm-hmm. maybe not maybe not the whole season but i i've been i've been impressed by him i i was gonna say mitro was the obvious one and prayer was the other one that has stuck out to me takes all the set pieces for them and delivers a really nice corner they've probably got he's probably gotten two or three assists just off corner kicks yep exactly 
Okay, so on to Bournemouth. Uh, for me, Dominic Solanke is having is putting together a good season. He has two goals and three assists on the season. And then the other player, I think, is a really good journeyman. Thought he did a great job when Huddersfield were last in the Premier League. Philip Billing. Um, yeah. Actually top scorer for Bournemouth right now with three goals on the season. He's just a good, solid player. Um, good, solid Premier League player and always puts a really good shift in. So um, perfect for a team like Bournemouth, I think, Philip Billing. Absolutely. Those were my two picks for Bournemouth as well. I agree. Maybe uh, the third that I would say there, uh, what's his name? The Scottish player, Ryan Christie. Ryan Christie is a, a fairly mm-hmm. good player, I think. Um, yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I would agree he's, with that. He's, he's putting together a good season there too. What What about for Forrest? I'll let you go first this time. Forrest is tough. Not a lot of bright spots for Forrest this season. Obviously, it's been an insane year signing 23 players in the summer. So like an entirely new team that Steve Cooper had to kind of figure out. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that like Nico Williams was one a lot of people were looking at before the season. I don't think he's been terribly impressive. He's had a few good games, but nothing that has really kind of like, you know, written home about. Uh, um, I'm going to mispronounce his name. The, the player who scored on the weekend, Awonyi, uh, is a player that I think does have quite a lot of talent um, for, for Nottingham Forest, but I haven't really seen enough to kind of be impressed by that. Um, it's tough when the team is in 20th uh, to to find that many positives. Yeah, I, I struggle a little bit here too. Awanyi was one of my players. I didn't list Nico Williams. I think he's in a really poor defense right now. And for that reason, Dean Henderson um, has come up with some man-of-the-match performances so far this season. He Actually, has. Three clean, three clean sheets out of 12 in a team that shipped 28 goals so far this season. Yeah. Um, the games where they have managed to sneak points, it's been largely due to some man-of-the-match performances from Dean Henderson. And, That's a good point. Yeah, you know, um, you think you think about the four goalkeepers that could potentially be on the plane to Qatar right now. Uh, you got Nick Pope, you got Jordan Pickford, you got Aaron Ramsdale, and you've got Dean Henderson. Out of those four, we assume that Southgate will take three. Who doesn't mm-hmm. get on? Who doesn't get on the plane to Qatar? Probably Pope, because of how poorly he played in that friendly last month. Unfortunately, uh, it's it's been a bummer. Like he's been so good in the Premier League. You and I both know that he did play really poorly in that match. I, I forget who England lost to. It was a two 0 It actually wasn't a it wasn't a loss. It was a three three draw. They were two 0 down three, against three, Ger- Germany. They went up three two and then they conceded that last minute goal. Yeah. Like, I yeah, I, I think it's tough like when you're taking three keepers. Uh like Pick Pickford right now is is without a doubt going to be the number one. Um so it's it's who is his backup and who is the third stringer. Um yeah I, I would think that most likely Nick Pope finds himself on the outskirts but it's i'd say it's between him and hendo uh it's it's a tough Mm -hmm. time to be an england keeper it really is like it it, Mm -hmm. you know there's not a lot of opportunity to be had because as much as it pains you or i to say this jordan pickford is having a really really good season for everton and he's always been he's always been southgate's number one um and like nobody is touching that position right now yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, Pope, I think, had a couple good games. I think he really only made one mistake, but it was just such a glaring mistake that it that it stood out pretty badly. Yeah, I actually, I actually think Hendo will be the keeper to miss out. I think Pope will end up on the plane. I don't think he sees any game time in the World Cup, though, unless there's any that's injuries. Right. That's a bit of a coin flip. I agree. 
Yep. Um, all right. Well, that's our Premier League roundup. Um, a little bit longer this time since we've had a couple months to think about it. Uh, but before we get into the last section of our pod, Zach, anything you'd like to, to get out there before the commercial break? Um, get on the Newcastle bandwagon before it, before it gets out of the station. <laughs> there are plenty of people doing so, as you see by the attendance at the Mile High Magpies. There it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. All right. Quick commercial break, then we will wrap it up with uh, goal score run through on Joe Pundit 790. Keep it real. Man, some, some more good words from our sponsors. They're really bringing in the content today. Fun stuff to hear about. Premier League top scorers, Adam. Uh, surprise, surprise, Erling Holland with a pretty, pretty cushy lead in first there. 17 goals, as we've said. Harry Kane behind him uh, with 10. It's crazy to think that 10 goals in 11 matches doesn't put you even remotely close to the lead <laughs> goal scorer position. That's yeah. the world we live in now. Uh, Alexander Mitrovic at 9. Ivan Tony at 8. Uh, and then tied um, on 6 goals. James Madison, Leandro Trossard, Miggy Almiron, Phil Foden, and Bobby Firmino. A really wild mix of five players there uh, <laughs> um yeah. yeah i i think maybe the one player that i want to shout out leandro Josard is playing so well for brighton i did not realize he was that good of a player um but he has been unbelievable he's, he's making a case to maybe get some minutes for belgium in the world cup which is pretty wild he plays pretty regularly for them actually um just because wales, wales play belgium every other game so yeah i get to see him play quite good a lot point. Um, but yeah, no, Trossard is a player that I've been singing the praises of for quite a few seasons now. Um, always a very impressive player to me. But yeah, Belgium have relied on him a lot in the past. And I think he'll see a lot of game time this World Cup. Uh, as may Ivan Tony with eight goals. Yeah, another position that's tough to break into in the England squad is striker. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Do you think he'll say F England in one of his like infamous social media videos this time around? Like now he said that and now he's the captain of Brentford, by the way. That's true. Yeah. That was one of the greatest videos ever. Uh, probably not. Probably That's probably not a bridge that he wants to burn. That's quite <laughs> yet. Um, probably but uh, okay. Top goal scores as we've ran through from 17 goals with early Holland to six goals across the board of, of five different players into armchair pundits, Adam. Armchair pundits, it's been a couple months, so I need something. I need something feisty and hot from you today. What are, what are you going to toss? All right, then I'll throw this out here because you're not going to like it. Jesse Marsh will be fired from Leeds before the World Cup starts. No, Jesse Marsh, the American hero. That's not a bad take. I, oh man, it's tough. I don't know how much of it is his fault, but I also don't know how much he's doing right at the moment. It's kind of a Steven Gerrard situation. They spent a good amount of money in the summer. They have a, a number of, you know, it, it impressive and exciting players. What's weird about what's weird about Leeds is that they are playing well against the top sides and playing so poorly against sides that they should be competing with for mm -hmm. a position in the table. Uh and I think like I was listening to the TIFO football podcast this week. So this isn't all my original thought, but they were talking about the fact that like the Red Bull system that he brought there doesn't really work terribly well with a team that's kind of fighting off relegation because it's so much about trying to like 
you know, gain possession and get turnovers when teams are playing those like tight triangles of passes and like attacking the small spaces and suffocating that. And that's not really what a lot of the teams in the bottom half of the table will do because they don't have kind of that, you know, that ability necessarily to play the the short intricate passes because that leads is just kind of standing around and attacking space. Um, so that was interesting to hear. Yeah, I, I think, you know, there's there's a lot of things you said there resonated with me. First and foremost, he's the American manager in the Premier League. People immediately think Ted Lasso. Therefore, he seems like a bit of an easy scapegoat for all the problems that are happening at Leeds right now to me. Under the hood, though, there are much bigger problems at large at Ellen Road. I think they've just got so much more investment that needs to be made and really... They, they need somebody that can come in there and can overhaul that defense because the defense still remains a huge problem. They've got Bamford back now, which has been great for them. Hasn't necessarily set the world alight from a scoring perspective, but you can tell that's given them a lift. It, I think it's going to be really tough. Zach, a few stats for you to, to back up my thoughts here. They're on an eight-game winless run leads right now. That's lasted over two calendar months since they last won a game four losses in a row at present and there are three games before the world cup starts liverpool away bournemouth home spurs away i think if they oh, lose yeah. to liverpool he might not even see the bournemouth game um you know that's the game yeah. that you know, they absolutely have to win of those three you wouldn't expect them to necessarily pick up points at, um at liverpool or spurs but they should be beating bournemouth so if he gets the Bournemouth game, I think that's do or die for him. He has to take three points from it. Yeah, I think that's that's certainly true. Um, I think I also read something interesting. I might be wrong here, which is that like Leeds has been Leeds has been what, far better away from home than they've been at Elland Road this season, which is also like an interesting thing because you, you and I know that like football teams oftentimes play different away from home than they do at home, even yeah. though like even if it's against the same opponent which is kind of fascinating but um yeah it does seem like there's a lot of like jesse marsh is kind of he, he's like the driver of a car that's a little bit too out of control when he grabs the wheel and he's just like trying to like rein it in but yeah i don't know i unfortunately i don't i don't know if he's the right man for the job either i yeah uh, I, I which i think is quite sad because i think he could be at the right club with the right setup um i do i do have some respect for for jesse marsh there but right now like i said he seems a pretty convenient scapegoat to hang all leads problems on and i don't think that's necessarily fair but premier league isn't always fair that is true that is true okay i i don't like it but i i like your take because that's a fairly good one um all right so I, I will say, Adam, my initial, my armchair pundits I've written down here is that Erling Holland breaks 45 goals. And like, I don't think that's that crazy of a take anymore. So I don't want to go down that route. I think that it would be almost surprising if he doesn't break 45 goals <laughs> on the pace he's on. The, the quick run through there, and you, you actually kind of hit this before, currently on pace for 58 goals at a rate of one and a half goals per game, which is absolutely preposterous and quite unsustainable. Even if you drop that to 1.2 goals per game, which is still a ton, that's what would put him on pace for 45. So if you take 0.3 goals per game off his rate, that's what puts him at 45 goals a game. I think he's able to do that relatively easily, even if or even if he misses a couple matches. Um, but again, I think that's almost like a mainstream opinion at this point. 
So what I will say is that my armchair pundits is that Ralph Hasenhutl will become the next Sean Deitch of the Premier League. <laughs> say more. And what I mean by this is two, kind of one of two things. Uh, the first of which is that Sean Deitch, when he left Burnley last season, was the longest tenured manager in the Premier League. He was the manager, I think, who had been at Burnley for 10 seasons. I don't necessarily think that Hasenhutl lasts 10 seasons at Southampton. He's been there since 2018, so we're looking at just over four seasons, which is a fairly lengthy tenure for a manager in, in modern football. But there's also kind of the aspect of Deitch where he became a bit of a meme in English culture, in, in football culture, towards the end of his time. I think Hasenhutl is going down a nice path towards that in the sense that, like, Every single week, you either hear about how Hassan Hoodle has the team all together and they're playing his brand of football, or he will be fired before the, <laughs> the sun comes up the next morning. And I think that, that for a team like Southampton, that unfortunately all they care about is staying in the Premier League, and it doesn't look like that's going to change necessarily. Hassan Hoodle is the perfect manager who can keep them in 14th to 17th almost every season. He knows what he's doing, he's coached quite a bit in the Premier League and at Leipzig at, at other big clubs and I just like I I think it's funny I don't see him getting fired ever if he if if things just continue the way that they are yeah I think the relegation would be the only thing that would really cause right? him to do that at this point right it's it's all but it's all buy young buy low and sell high and it sucks like I would hate to be a Southampton fan because it's kind of like what Newcastle was over the last decade where there's no real investment in making the team better it's like turning a profit you know and whatnot and hasn't just like can do it he can take players and make them look attractive and win the games and get the draws against liverpool he'll be there four years from now that is my yep. prediction yeah liverpool feeder team so we've said it before we'll say it again um i like that i think uh <laughs> i don't i don't think i'd ever would have gone there myself but um i i can i can respect that it just struck me so i had to shout it out Good, good stuff. All right. Well, that, that leaves us with 10 and 90 then, Zach. Would you like to go first or second today? Mm, um, do you have any preference? I'm good either side. I will make a selection if you don't care. Uh, you go ahead. Make, make the call. All right. I'll go first um, because you usually think a little bit more outside the box than I do. So I will let you wrap it up. Um, uh, I went with a theme today. I, I wanted to go with a theme. And that okay. theme is in my opinion, the team that's been the second most impressive from a, uh, maybe surprisingly impressive this season. I think that Arsenal is the most impressive team, but not that, not that huge of a surprise. Um, Newcastle would be number two. And then Fulham is, I think, the other team that really, really impressed me. Um, as we've said, seventh in the table, a newly promoted side, a side that's been a yo-yo club in the last three years, gone up, down, up. Um, and so to see them having this this good fortune is uh, impressive and encouraging. So, Adam, I wanted to give you a theme, and it's Fulham. And the theme starts with question number one. When was the last time that Fulham finished a season in the Premier League in the top half? Hmm. They've definitely done it. Correct. Think back to the successful years at Craven Cottage with all the American players, the Brian McBrides of the world. So that's kind of where my head's going right now. Let's go back to hmm, 2009, 2010. 
close. Uh, a little bit more recent, 2011, 2012, they finished ninth. Uh, and then the year before, they actually finished eighth. So they had two years in a row of top half finishes. Um, so 2011, 2012, they finished ninth. Question number two, who was their manager that season? Oh, Lord. I'll give you yeah. one clue. You're going to have to give me a clue on this one. Yeah, I'm going to struggle with that. It's a Dutch manager. Oh, uh, was it Martin Yol? It was Martin Yol. Very good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice work. Um, question number three Who was their leading scorer that season? Let's go Brian McBride. So close. <laughs> Clint Dempsey. Clint Dempsey. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny. It was really like, yeah, when they had the American players like Brian McBride, I was like, really? That's the first one that you're going to mention? Brian McBride, I still think, is one of the greatest American strikers of all time, dude. Super underrated player. I thought he was legend. awesome. Yeah, yep. he was great. He was he was great in New England Revolution, too. I remember that when I was really young, seeing, seeing their games. Yep. Um, but Dempsey, uh, got all, Dempsey, Dempsey got all the plaudits, and I think Brian McBride was actually the real hero there. Well, how many goals in the Premier League did Clint Dempsey score in 2011-2012? 15. 17? Hmm. There you go. That's wow, that's season. actually a pretty good return. So basically, in a full season, he got as many as Holland's got so far in his first 11 games. <laughs> you got it. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, question number four and a half or so. Uh, in that 2011 2012 season which teams finished right above so eighth place and right below 10th place of fulham everton which one right above or right below well i mean if it's the everton cup it's got to be eighth right <laughs> very good guess really good guess is it 10th <laughs> no everton is no, not it's not it's not a, okay gotcha newcastle yes. You're as close as you could come with Everton. Liverpool. Liverpool finished in eighth. And, and this is just, I, I think this is just a funny sequence of teams to see in a table. Liverpool in eighth, Fulham in ninth, and who finished in tenth? Manchester City. West Bromwich Albion. Oh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> just like a crazy sequence of three teams to see at the end of the season on the Premier League table. Looking, looking at it now. Um, did did you hear? Side note, obviously West Brom just fired Steve Bruce. Did you hear the sour comments from Andy Carroll? Right after I did. He was like, "I'm upset to not get to play them with Steve Bruce because we would have won." That's an amazing yeah. comment. He, he called it an easy three points. I'm like, "That's wow." That's so good. That's good so on you, good. Andy good on you, Andy Carroll. Okay, question number five this is my final one. Uh, <laughs> I really like this one. Um, which English defender did Fulham purchase from Darlington as their first transfer of the summer 2011 transfer window? And I have a few clues for you. Yeah, go on. Give me the first one. This defender is still in the Premier League. Darlington? This was in the summer of 2011. It was going into this uh, this last top half finish season. No, next clue. <laughs> he was born and raised in the northernmost area of the country. 
Oh God, it's not Dan Byrne, is it? No. <laughs> Dan Byrne. That's for my headphones, but I'm like, he didn't play in the Premier League that long ago. I thought that was so funny. Yeah, I, I don't think he played. I think he was probably like, what, 18 or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought, that, I thought that. I was just looking at the Fulham 2011-2012 Wikipedia page and I just saw Dan Byrne's name. I was like, oh, damn, huh. that's a great one. Yeah, that is a great question. I like that. Um, my, yeah, I think my, actually I was about, I was gonna guess Dan Byrne after you said born in Darlington because he was the only person that I knew that was born in Darlington. But I'm like, that's too long ago. There's well, no, 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 they, they they purchased him from the club Darlington, but born in Newcastle and like were, was went at Darlington because he played for I think some of the he played for like North Shields up there as well too. Okay, so, so he's played like, my, a lot of local football up in the Northeast. My third clue, if needed, was he is really tall, and I knew that that would that would kind of put it over the line. <laughs> He sure is really tall, as is Sven Botman. Um, they, they rival each other in the height height stakes there. So that is true. Um, cool. What All are right. your What are your questions? Well, uh, I I also went for a theme this time, and my theme is Unai Emery. All right, I love it. All right, let's see how much you know about Mr. Emery here. We'll start with an easy one for you. What is Unai Emery's nickname? It's an easy one. I'm just kidding. It's not really an easy one. Yeah, it's a fun one though. Dude, I always think that he looks like Dracula, so I'm gonna go with Dracula. He does look like Dracula. I think that's a nice that's a nice guess. However, the nickname he has is the Traffic Warden, because, <laughs> because he is very emotive and expressive with his hands on the touchline, and oh, looks, that's like good. looks like he's directing traffic. That's a great nickname. I wish I was mm -hmm. known as the Traffic Warden. <laughs> <laughs> so Unai Emery, the Traffic Warden. All right, second question. Emery's highest win percentage as a manager was an astonishing 76.3%. With which team was that? Hmm. Who did he coach before Arsenal? Like Sevilla? He has managed Sevilla. He has managed Sevilla. I don't know. He can't. I feel like you can't be a top five league club because that's just like a crazy percentage to have. It's not Arsenal, right? It's not a trick question, is it? Mm -mm. No. I don't know. Who is it? PSG. He was at PSG oh, for two years. Yeah, of course. Uh, I knew it right as I gave up on that. I knew that it was <laughs> okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. All right, question three then, sticking with the PSG theme. How many domestic trophies did Emery win during his two-year stint as manager of PSG? Four. He won an incredible seven trophies in two how is years. That, how is that possible? Because I said four because, like, aren't there only two trophies? There are three domestic cups in France, um, okay. and, and he won Ligue 1 once out of the two years. Oh, oh, oh. I wasn't even thinking about the league. For some reason, I was... Yeah, very focused on the cups, but yeah, that's pretty nice. That's yeah, pretty I good. mean, pretty pretty incredible trophy haul across two years, right? Even even with PSG. Yeah. Yep. Um, all right. Uh, next question. Question four: How many times, and he's well known for this, has Emery won the Europa League? Oh, three. I think. I think once with Sevilla and twice with Villarreal. Is that right? You're close, but no cigar. So he's won it four times. 
Okay. He's won it three times with Sevilla and once with Villarreal. Oh, I got it backwards. Okay. Got yep. it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yep. he, he won all three of the years that Sevilla won back to back to back. Right. Correct. Yeah. And then he did get to the Europa league final with Arsenal, but lost mm. in the final. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Yep. He's, he's Europa league, Europa league merchant. Yep, sure is. He'll be he'll be taking Villa into the Europa League, I'm sure, as soon as possible. Uh, fifth and last question on Unai Emery here. Uh, fun one for you. Other than footy, what two sports does Unai Emery like to play in his free time? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a Homer guess. Uh, I'm gonna pick the sport that I've been I've been obsessed with over the last few years. I'm gonna say he's a big pickleball player. You're so close. <laughs> really? Yeah. Ping pong. Uh no, think a larger court, similar type game. Paddle or tennis or racquetball? Yeah, so tennis and squash are the two. Tennis and squash, okay. Yeah, yep. nice. Damn, you're yeah, in, pickleball, pickleball was right in, in the middle of that. You were right in the lane there. I like that. It was good. I, I was, yeah. Pickleball <laughs> is all that's on my mind right now, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, Zach, this is a good way to finish our podcast today. Pronounce these Welsh words oh, for no. me. All right. We're going sentence. You want, you want, have you got a pen there? You might want to write these down. Yeah, yeah, I got to go for it. All right. It's C-W-P-A-N is the first word. Okay. The second word is the letter Y. <laughs> okay. The third word is B-Y-D. Oh, these are three words. Okay. B-Y-D. Yeah. Uh, C W P A N Y B Y D. Um, Heath and Avid. <laughs> Not even close. Mm. It's it's Kupanabid. <laughs> that wasn't even close. <laughs> oh, man. You're, you're, uh, rusty, you're rusty with your Welsh pronunciation. I can I'm tell. I'm so rusty with my Welsh. Um, uh, say it again. Kupanabid means something. What do you think uh, Kupan might mean? Kupan means World Cup. It means World Cup. Well done. There we go. Very good. (laughs) Nice. What is the Y then? That's two words. uh, It's basically Cup of the World is what it translates as. Yeah. Um, hell yeah. Nice. Good, good ending after I think I missed all the <laughs> questions. <laughs> the traffic warden one was pretty difficult though, to be fair. That's immense. Yep. Um, so yeah, Cup and a bead world cup, um, really leading us into what episode 94 will be all about. So we'll be coming at you midway through the month in November to preview the world cup. Lots to talk about there. Um, just, just tons of interest in group B in particular that has England, Wales and the USA in it. So lots to, t- to talk about and unpack on that specific group, but some really good other groups as well. So uh, what'll be interesting there is two teams can advance. The person that comes in second though is most likely to get Netherlands from group A. So you'll be wanting to avoid that draw and try and win the group out. Most people expecting England to do it. We will see. We've yeah. beaten England to the top of a group before, Zach. Yes. We being Wales. <laughs> we in 2016 being Wales finished first yes. in the group. That is true. That is true. We will see. Yeah. I'll we can talk about the World Cup next month and my lack of faith in the United States at this point in time. But uh a conversation for another day, Adam. Um yes, sir. Until, 
until then. Footy.